finally found him. Um, it's me. And so we have this series called Confessions of a Loser, and I want to do my best to share some of myself with you so that maybe it could save you some heartache. So that's where this series has been birthed, Confessions of This Loser. I have spent a big part of my adult life living in the middle, um, doing just enough in my life to feel safe with Jesus. Not, uh, not, not trying to be too aggressive, but not wanting to fall behind. And here's kind of what I mean by that. I, 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 I wasn't trying to be fake, but I was not committed. I was not all in when it came to God. My question, though, was this. How much do I need to be in for God to consider me in? How much do I need to be in for him to look at me and say, okay, Harley, yes, you have done enough to be in. I wanted to control my life. I wanted to control my life. I wanted to take my life and to manage it and to say this, I'm going to commit some of my life over here to this, what's going on over here. I want to commit some of my life to what's going on right here and maybe these people and these circumstances I want to then commit, I, well, maybe I'll save this part right here for me. This is my part, so I'm managing my life. This is why I've done a, a great part of my adult life. And then I said, and yes, God is going to get a section of my life as well. I'm going to commit some of that life to him. And so, like, for sure, I'm going to give God Sunday mornings. And I did. I gave God every single, almost every single Sunday morning of my whole life. Almost. I've given God every single Sunday morning. And then I have added to that, I'm going to give him a little extra time during the week. I'm going to read some Bible. I'm going to do, have, do some times when I, I'm going to pray to him. Especially if I need God to do something for me, I'm going to amp that up. I'm going to read my Bible more and I'm going to pray more. But I do have this little section, most of my adult life, I've said he'll at least get a little bit of that. Every Sunday morning, then do a little extra reading, Bible, some prayer. And then I, here was the slam dunk. I was going to be a part, most of my adult life, of a, some kind of small group. And I thought, surely the small group aspect really amps up my commitment. And that's my slam dunk so that God looks at me and says, Okay, Harley, you are in. That should do it. You have done enough to be considered in. But maybe that has not been your approach in your life. Because sometimes we do have a different approach. And I have visited this next approach as well. It's the perspective that many of us have had at different times of our lives that says this, I want to know where the sin line is. God, just, just let me know. Where is that line that is the sin line? Now, I know, we're, you know it's kind of like this giant gray area for all the little sins, but I want to know where the big sin line is. Where is the big sin line? How close can I get to that line, God, and still be safe according to you? Where's the big sin line? And how close can I get to it without crossing over that line so that I can still be in 
Where's the big sin line, God? And if I do cross it, I at least don't want to cross it so many times that you now consider me out. So God, where is that line? You see, we often, we look at things much differently than God looks at them. Let me give you an example. We value, we value crowds, don't we? We value when a whole lot of people come together in one room for a worship experience. We value that. We value crowds. I mean, we work hard at making everything simple so that I can understand it, so that you can understand it, and it makes sense and that it's clear. And we make this experience uh, uh, something that is accessible so people can get in with the fewest amount of distractions. We do our best to make things clear. And, and in doing so, we have a tendency to lower the commitment level. We have a tendency to do that, to lower the bar. That says, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do all these things. You don't need to do that. You don't need to worry about this. Don't even think about that. We lower the bar. And in doing so, we lower our expectations of what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, America might do that. And churches in America might do that. But God does not. God absolutely does not. Jesus was not interested in a gathering, a big gathering of people who were putting on a show. Or a gathering of people who were kind of faking it. Or a gathering of people gathering mass numbers of people who had the idea of what can I do that's just enough to be considered in. He wasn't interested in a large gathering of people that said, Here, where's the sin line, God? Show me the sin line because I'm going to get as close to it as I can without going over it or at least over it too many times. God, Jesus was not interested in that at all. He was not trying to gather a big group of mostly, partially, somewhat committed people who were trying to figure out, what can I do that is enough? Jesus was not interested in that. You know, Jesus was not begging people to follow him. He wasn't begging people to hang out with him. He was not chasing after people who were not interested in chasing after him. It's true. Jesus wasn't really interested in being around a lot of people who weren't interested in being around him. And here we are in America just begging people to give Jesus a chance. Jesus was looking for people who wanted 
to have an understanding of him. Not just knowledge about him, but an understanding of him that would lead towards something. That would somehow lead toward a life that was more productive. Somehow an understanding of Jesus that would lead them to have something that Jesus talks about a lot. To have something called fruit that would emerge out of their lives. Jesus was interested in people who, in looking for people who wanted an understanding of Jesus that would lead to a change inside of their heart that would then lead to a change in their behavior, in their lives, in what they did, in what they thought, in what they said. Jesus was looking for people who wanted to be a part of some kind of massive harvest. And for those who were faking it, or those who were just half committed, Jesus actually made it difficult for those people to understand what Jesus was teaching. That's a paradigm shift in our thinking in America today. Jesus was not content having a lot of people around him listening to him teach. He actually whittled down the numbers. If the crowd was big, he whittled down the numbers. He eliminated the people who were faking it. He eliminated the people who were trying to give God just enough to be in. Jesus was not looking for people who were looking for a shortcut. Jesus was not looking for people who wanted to remain in control and say, I'll give a little bit of my life over here some over here. I'm going to save this for myself and I'll give God this part. Jesus was not looking for that at all. Jesus was looking not for the people who were giving, willing to give just enough. Let's look at one of Jesus' teachings. Matthew chapter 13, starting with verse 2. A large crowd, there's our first clue right there. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So I've set it up. You kind of know where this might go now. A large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat and he left. He said, I'm out of here. No, <laughs> he got into a boat, pushed away from the shore so he could teach this large crowd. Here's what happened. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. And he told many stories, it says, in the form of parables. Let's pause here for just a moment because later his disciples, his closest followers, come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, why are you teaching in these stories called parables? Why are you doing that? And Jesus explains to them exactly why he's doing that. And do you know what the answer was? Here was the answer. 
Jesus was saying, I'm using these parables to teach people. He said this, the people who are not really seeking me, the people who are not really ready or willing, that's a better word, the people who are not really willing to commit fully to me, I'm teaching them parables so that they won't understand what I'm saying. I'm teaching them parables so it's very difficult for someone who is just half committed to understand what I'm saying. What I'm teaching, Jesus is basically saying, what I'm teaching is designed for the person who genuinely wants to seek after me. Isn't that wild? I mean, that's what G Jesus was saying. I'm teaching in a way not to make it easy. I'm teaching in a way to make it difficult for someone who's not committed. They're, gonna, they're not going to understand. That blows my mind. Jesus was not begging people to follow him. He actually made it difficult. Especially for those people who were just looking at giving a partial, half-hearted commitment. They weren't going to be able to understand what he was saying. They were not going to be able to keep up. But those who were really seeking Jesus, God's Spirit made sure they were understanding. This, that, just, that, that just blows me away. So then he says, the Bible says he began teaching um, these things, and then he goes on with this story, such as this one. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. Verse 4, as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came along, and they ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil uh, with underlying rock, and those seeds quickly sprouted because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon withered under the hot sun, and they didn't have deep roots. They died. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and they choked out the tender plants but still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30 60 even a hundred times as much as had been planted and then he says this here's another clue here who he's talking to anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand he's not saying anyone with ears understand He's saying, if you are really seeking me, understand this. This is dangerous. Don't, don't go to the explanation just yet. This is dangerous. And here's why it's dangerous. Don't assume in your life that you are the good soil. Don't assume in your life that you are the good soil. 
one of my mentors. He says for him, as he's looking at this passage, according to this passage, according to him, he believes that most people filling our churches in America are in the thorny soil. Don't assume that you or I, that we are good soil. All right, McKinley, let's go to this explanation. Listen to Jesus. Jesus says this. Now listen to the explanation of the parable. So let me get, tell you what happened here. Jesus tells that parable, and he like, mic drop, bam, and he walks off. Now he is with just his closest followers, and he makes sure that they understand what he's saying. So now he's talking to a very small group, just a handful of people. Here's what he says. Now listen to the explanation. Let me go back. I'm sorry, McKinley. Now listen. Go back one verse. Now listen to the explanation of the, of the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting the seeds. And he gets very, very clear. Here's where we go. The seed that fell on the footpath, he, Jesus says, represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of God and they don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. That's the first explanation. All right? Next one. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. They get excited about it. Let's go on. What does it say? But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. They're gone. They're out of here. Next one. The seed that fell along the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. He goes on. He explains the next one. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear, truly hear, and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30. So they're different harvests. They're not all the same. Some 30, some 60, even 100 times for some as much as had been planted. There's the explanation Jesus gives. He says, I want you to make sure you understand this. To the masses, he gives the parable to a handful He gives this. Thorns in the soil are anything that will distract us from God. You see, in our lives, we want God, but man, especially in America, we want all these other things too, because America, we're the land of opportunity. We want God, but we also want all of this other stuff that we have in America. And Jesus just described that as 
thorns. If that describes us, then we have thorns in our soil. And a relationship with God cannot grow if it is covered up with thorns, all piled in on top of it. Now, as we look at those soils, we have a tendency to divide them out. This is how we look at them, especially in America. We have a tendency to divide them out. Yeah, that person, oh man, they're not saved. This one, I'm not quite sure. This one, uh, I think so, I think so. This one for sure, yes. That's how we look at it. Not a saving faith. I'm not sure about that one. Possibly, and yes, for sure. That's how we look at the soils in America. But in this example that Jesus shares, there are two big groups of soils. One is the group of people who have a saving faith. We talked about this last week. A saving faith. That's one group. There's a second group. Not a saving faith. Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven. In this story, there are people in the kingdom of heaven and there are people outside of the kingdom of heaven. Two groups. In, out. In America, we want to say, out, maybe, maybe, in. Jesus' example, in and out. Kingdom of God, not the kingdom of God. We can't assume that we are the good soil. You see, Jesus, he asks, he doesn't look, in America, we lower the commitment, we lower the bar, we lower the standard, we lower the expectations, not Jesus. Jesus asked for everything. We, especially in Western civilization, we try to give him less. The American church attender doesn't want to be saved from sin. The American church attender, generally speaking, wants to be saved from the penalty of sin. Yes, we want the consequences of our sin to be paid for by Jesus, but we want to retain the freedom to get as close to that line of sin as possible without crossing it. 
That's the American way. That is not the Jesus way. We want the eternal consequence of our sin to be paid for on the cross of Jesus, but we want the freedom to live our lives how we want to live our lives and to give as much commitment as it requires for us to be in, but no more. So let's look at that. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Well then, Paul says, well then, should we just keep on sinning? I mean, just keep on camping out at that line. Find the line and let's walk the line. Let's camp out by that line. Just hang out by that line. Just flirt with that temptation, with that sin, and with the hopes that I'm not going to cross it, but I'm going to hang out by it. Should we just keep on sinning, Paul says, so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he answers it. Of course not. That is crazy talk, Paul says. That is obvious, except to Americans, obvious. Of course not. No way. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Paul is so clear. He answers the question, can we? Can we? Can we camp out at the sin line? Yes. Bob the Bill, yes we can. If you're not dead to sin. But Paul says if you have died to sin, if you have been saved from sin, not talking about saved from the penalty of sin, if you have been saved from sin, no way can you do that. The answer is you can't. If you have died to it, you cannot live in it. Unless you're in America. Then you change the definitions and you can. Now, I am not saying that a Christ follower does not sin. We sin. Listen to me. I sin. The worst sins, to God, sin is sin. But for me, my worst sin, my worst sins have been since I became a follower of Jesus. Yes, we sin and we fall and we fail. Paul is saying that a Christ follower, let, listen to, to this, a Christ follower who stumbles, a Christ follower, a Christ follower who stumbles, Christ follower, meaning they are following someone. Who are they following? The Christ. A Christ follower who stumbles falls while he is pursuing Jesus. 
A Christ follower who stumbles and falls and fails and sins does so while they are following Jesus. And if we are following, if you are following, if I am following Jesus, then I'm running away from that sin line. But I still trip and I still fall. Does that make any sense at all? I hope it does. Paul is saying we're running from that sin line and running to Jesus and we still trip and we still fall. He's not chasing after that. He falls while he's running, trying to run, and something distracted, got distracted. He stopped, he looked, and he trips and he falls and he sins. And Paul says there's a difference though. Some people are pursuing that. They're not a Christ follower, they're a sin follower. They're still living in it. They're pursuing it. They're living, they're not dead to it, they're living in it. Now, all of this can lead to us beginning to think, whew, I need to sit down. Wow, man, Harley, I I hope that I'm really in. I mean, I I think I might be in with God, but I hope I am. I'm, I'm not sure. So here's what Paul says. I mean, he understands this. Paul says, so we should test ourselves. He didn't say for me to come and test you. He didn't say for you to test your wife, or you to test your husband, or you to test your children, or your parents, or your neighbor, or your friends, or the person you hate. He didn't say you. He said we should test ourselves. So you want some control? I I do. I struggle with it all the time. Well, here you go. Here's something to control. Test yourself. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus is in you? And we, he's, he's, what he's saying is we don't recognize it if we fail the test. What he's saying is, here's the test. Is Jesus in you? Is he in you? Paul says there's no need for you to test someone else. No need for you to judge someone else. No need for me to judge you. No need for you to judge me. That is a waste of your time. It's a waste of your energy. Test yourselves. Look closely at yourselves. Examine your life, your actions, your behavior, your thinking, your thoughts, your decisions. Examine you. Here's another version of this, the Amplified Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 in the Amplified Version. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves 
to see whether you are holding on to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. What was Jesus looking for in our lives? Not a half commitment. Fruit. A harvest. He says, examine yourselves. Is it there? Is that fruit in your life? What is growing in your life? We are growing something. Are you growing good fruit? Or are you growing some things in your life that you hope to keep a secret? Are you growing some things in your life that you hope will not get passed down to your children? Are you growing things in your life that are okay for you, but you don't want your kids to do it? Paul says, test yourself. Examine yourself. Examine the fruit, your actions, your decisions, the results of your life. Now part two of the test. He says, test and prove yourselves, not Christ. Don't test Christ. Test and prove yourselves. Do you not yourselves realize and know? Now, this is, so he tells us, this is how we'll know if we pass this part of the test. Thoroughly, by an ever-increasing experience, you will know that you're passing this part of the test by a thoroughly and ever-increasing experience that is Christ in you. Here's what, what Paul's saying, if it's not clear. You will be realizing more and more and more as the weeks go on and the months go on and they turn into years, you will be realizing day by day more and more and more Jesus in you. And then he says, mm, but some are not going to do that. Some are not going to realize that because it's not happening. And he says, unless your counterfeits... And he describes that by saying, disapproved, on trial, and rejected. Now before we get defensive, who put me on trial? God really in this scenario did not put me in trial. You did not put me on trial. Paul said, examine yourselves, test yourselves, put yourself on the stand. Try yourself. I can't get mad at someone else for my life and my decisions, my actions, my behaviors. I can't. Paul said, put yourself on trial. And now you judge yourself. Approved or disapproved? In or out? Rejected or accepted? Based upon is Christ more thoroughly, day by day, day by day, year by year, week by week, as it goes on, more and more and more and more, realizing Christ in you. And Paul describes, if someone is failing this self-test, something is wrong. 
Something is wrong. That's why he said, examine yourself. Because if I fail the test, something is wrong. And it's not too late. It is not too late to make it right. If someone is failing the test, they, like me, in my life, have probably tried to control their life. They've tried to give some to them over there, some to these folks over here, some over here, and yes, of course, some to God. This part over here to Jesus. And Jesus, you can have it all of this. Every bit of this part right here. They give Jesus a part, which means... All the rest of this, they're thinking about. Jesus, you got that part. I'm going to take care of all this. I'm going to think about all this, handle all this, do all this. And in that scenario, if you were anything like me, this takes up most of your life. All this. Thinking about all this, dealing with all of this, handling all of this. Focused over here on my to-do list for today. This week's activities. Games over here. Practices over here. This weekend schedule. This part of it's going to be fun. This part of it's going to be the yard. This part's going to be work. This part's going to be play. Paul is relentless. He goes on. I'm sorry. He, he goes on. He, he, Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 Dear brothers and sisters, he says, wait a minute here, pattern your lives after mine. He's saying there is a pattern. My, my life, I, I'm not perfect, Paul tells us. I, he's not perfect. He says, but listen, I'm doing some things. I'm heading in a direction. If you will follow me, if you'll kind of do what I'm doing, you pattern your lives after mine. It's going to help you grow, he says, to a deeper and deeper and a deeper commitment where you are more thoroughly, week by week, day by day, understanding more and more, Jesus in you. And then he goes on, he says, and learn from those who follow our example. He says, not only am I doing it, but the people who are behind me and we're all pursuing Jesus, you can even look at them. We're all following the same pattern. Jesus really set it up for it first. We're doing that. Follow it. See, it's true for them. It's true for me. And there is increasing change. We are not perfect. We still fall. We still fall hard. But there is increasing change. Genuine growth. And if there's not, Paul is saying something is very, very, very wrong. Now the last series that we taught, we said this about real faith. Real faith always leads us to do something. Always. Real faith always leads us to do something. We don't do something to get in with God. Because we are in with God through His grace and His grace alone, that causes us, propels us, launches us into doing something. Real faith always 
launches us into doing something. He goes on, verse 18. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Paul, at this moment, is emotional about this because he's talking about people he loves and people he knows, people he has been around, some of them for years. He says, with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed, he says, for destruction. (sighs) What do they belong to? Just look at what they pursue. He says, their God is their appetite. And they brag about shameful things. And they think only about what is on this earth. I mean, there's this little bit over here for God, but the rest of their thoughts are all over here. They think only about these things of the earth. Paul just described to us what Jesus described as the thorny soil, which my friends, I believe with my mentor that that is most of our American church attenders. Thorny soil. And Paul says, but that's not so, though, with the good soil. That's not how it is. He says in verse 20, "But but, but that shouldn't be describing us, he says, but we are the citizens of heaven. That good soil that Jesus described, one good soil, the rest were not. He says, but we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting on Him to return as our Savior. When it comes down to it, Paul says this, that consumes us. Jesus does not get this little part over here. Jesus consumes our whole lives. He consumes us. Paul then tells us we have a choice. Nobody picks this for us. We have a choice. You want power like I do? You want control of your life like I do? Well, here's your choice. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on the things of this above, not on earthly things. Paul says our minds are a big key to this. What we allow into our thoughts eventually lives in our behaviors. What we allow into our thoughts, what I allow into my thoughts, my mind has been in the biggest war of my life, it seems like, the past six months or year. What we allow into our mind begins to live very quickly in our behavior. And Paul says the good soil sets their minds on the things of Christ. Thoughts consumed by Christ. And that actually keeps us salty. Listen to this. The Bible tells us that salt is good. It's an excellent thing. But if salt has lost its strength, it says, and has become saltless, it's insipid, it's flat. Well, how shall salt... 
how shall its saltiness be restored? It is fit for neither the land, because back then they they used salt as fertilizer. It's not fit to throw out into the land as fertilizer. He says, nor is it fit for the manure heap. Salt was also used to put on fresh manure. I know, crazy, right? But they wanted to preserve that manure so they could use it as fertilizer. If they did not, then the manure would continue to rot and it would be worthless for them. And so Paul said, then you just would have to throw it away. And then, here we go again, Jesus says, He who has the ears to hear, let him listen and consider and comprehend by hearing. Jesus says, if you're listening to me and you're really seeking to understand me, then you're going to understand this. And he says, but if you're not, then you're really not going to understand this. Here's what he's saying. Salt? If it has lost its saltiness, if that's you or me, then we will actually ruin manure. Our lives will ruin a pile of poo if we're not salty. How would you like that to be said of you, that you ruin a good pile of poop? Salt? that is not salty, he said it's good for nothing. Can't use it on the land, the land, can't use it in the manure. It's good for nothing. Salt that is not salty is half-hearted. Part of my life over here, part of my life over here, and I'll give Jesus his part over here. It's useless. That is not salty salt. That is thorny soil. That is most of America. Jesus calls that thorny soil. Paul calls it saltless salt. Evaluate ourselves. Test ourselves. For many, many, many years, I failed that test. We've all messed up. We all fail. But there's a difference between a life that is characterized by bad soil and a life that is characterized by good soil. There's a difference between salt that is salty and salt that is saltless. A difference between a life where God is offered some of that life and a life where God has all access. God, you have all of me. This week, here's what I ask you to do as we sing these next two songs. Test yourself this week. Don't test your spouse. Don't test your kids. Test yourself. Evaluate yourself. Talk to God about yourself. And then take it further Search the, I I challenge you, search the New Testament and see if what I am telling you is true. Search the New Testament. Search the words of Jesus this week and see if what I'm telling you is true. Good soil versus bad soil. And then where is your life? We can't assume 
that we are good soil. It's a dangerous assumption. It's a dangerous American deception. Let's pray. God, you told us to examine and to test and to evaluate to see whether we're holding the faith, whether we're growing the proper fruits of a saving faith. May we test and prove ourselves this week. May we realize and know thoroughly because of an ever-increasing experience with Jesus that Jesus is in us. God, may we talk to you about this whole thing. May we search your new covenant words and test ourselves. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard, God, and give us, give us the courage to do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.